right, gentlemen, we are wrapping up February with another excellent panel in order to cover what is... Oh, my God. I dodged a bullet with this, with the Percy Jackson show, when that dropped at Disney+. Plus. And now we are unfortunately here with, and I have to stress this as much as I possibly can, Netflix's Avatar The Last Airbender. This is not the Avatar The Last Airbender. This is Netflix's Avatar The Last Airbender. I am joined by two returning members of the panel, Luke of Luke Reviews and Dante, a.k.a. Tarantino, a.k.a. DJ DeBlackio. I'm still going to keep bringing that up. I don't I care you. how many times. I don't I care. Listen, you. you came up with that. I don't want, I don't care. You came up with it, all right? Don't hate me for that. <laughs> and we are also joined by a first-time member of the podcast, another member of the Neighborhood Playhouse. Brandon, I believe you. this makes you the third person that I've had from the Neighborhood Playhouse on this on this podcast after Luisa wow. and Karn. Yeah, I know, right? I'm, I'm stacking what it up. An I'm honor. Really, right an honor. Brandon Gilbert, you had the honor, or actually, I don't know if I would call that honor. I would call it, uh, I wouldn't call it suffering, but I would call it something of watching the first couple of episodes of this. I'm not going to call it abomination, but something along those lines with me last <laughs> night. So just happy to have you here and happy you're here to help rip this thing apart with us. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if the basis for our conversation is do we like actually even treat it as the same thing as the animated show at all? Oh, we, we can. Oh, we can. Like, but we but, can't but, even... in, but in fairness, I think that the show itself already differentiated itself from the animated property immediately. And we're going to get into all of that and more on today's episode of the Talking TV podcast. Stay tuned. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to skip all the preambles, and I just wanted to start this conversation up this way. I was talking with Dontre before the before you, before Luke and Brandon got here, and I included this in my written review that I published on Serialize, which is that I can't help but notice that this property is the second property that we've gotten so far in the year of 2024. That is an adaptation of a property that is much beloved, I would say, to all of our childhoods. Luke, Brandon, I know you guys just recently watched uh, the animated show recently, but... I think it's safe to say that, like, this, this Avatar The Last Airbender is a pretty fundamental property to really anybody that I would say was born around the year, like, between, like, the mid-90s and the early 2000s, as far as that goes. It's become a pretty legendary staple, kind of surpassed its traditional animated roots, as far as being, I would say, one of the most fundamentally important pop culture IPs that we've had of the last 20 years. And I can't help but notice that this is the second one of these after Percy Jackson. That they attempted to adapt into a movie back in 2010 that was critically reviled, right? That's that's what's insane. Percy Jackson and the Olympians and M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar The Last Airbender were both released in 2010. And now have since been adapted into live-action, eight-episode TV shows that both have somehow made all the kids that watched those movies when they came out that are now... In, the, in their early early adults, you know, we're all around the same age, you know, range in early 20s and mid-20s, right? That are making us collectively scratch our heads and be like, were those earlier adaptations that bad? Like, were they really that bad? So, Dontre, I wanted to, I wanted to start with you. So, what were your thoughts when you first heard? Well, actually, no. Let, let's start this. Um, what's it called? What What are your memories of watching Avatar: The Last Airbender as a kid, or when the first time you watched it was? And then, how does that lead into your thoughts when you first hear that Netflix is going to take a stab and do it at the time with the original creator still attached? I, I think they first announced this. I want to say in like 2019. I think mm -hmm. this goes back that far. Yeah. Um, first watching Avatar Last Ember, I was like, oh, this is new. This is like a Nickelodeon. So it's like Nickelodeon really didn't have any like flagship shows that like I was interested in. 
at first. So it was like, you know, Chinese culture. I was like, I was, I was hooked in first, you know, after book one kind of watching it, I was like, yo, this is great. Like, I want to see how they go forward with book two and like what we didn't know that at the time. Um, then hearing the live action as a person who watches anime like religiously, the last thing you want to hear is that your favorite anime is getting added, you know, adapted into a live action because real anime fans out here, they know this. If you've heard of Attack on Titan, you watch that terrible fucking Attack on Titan live action movie that I'm sorry, this sounds crazy, but like the Titans look like fat Mexicans, which was weird, <laughs> which was so weird. Oh and it was God. like, I forgot about that. It was actually weird, but you know, I was like, you know what? Giving it a shot. It's like it's the original creator, so we're not like getting some offshoot people, like some showrunners that just don't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, but then to hear the showrunners left, I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah, we're already in for a ride. We're already yeah. in for a ride. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now, Luke, as somebody who had watched the not not as recently as Brandon, but like who had watched the live action. Oh, sorry, the Last Airbender cartoon recently, as well as also being a massive Attack on Titan fan. What were your What were your thoughts when you heard initially about the last about the uh, Last Airbender live action uh, remake that they were doing, and that the original creators had walked? I don't know when they announced it, but I don't think I'd, I'd watched it fully through at that point because I'd seen like individual episodes on Nickelodeon. Just like, okay, Ang has hair in this one, Ang doesn't have hair in this one, whatever. But I didn't watch them in order. I was, I was just a little kid, okay? SpongeBob, you can watch that in any order. Avatar. Mm -hmm. But but in, I think, 2020, I watched through all, of it, through, all the way through and it was absolute peak fiction. Mm -hmm. And then the, the live action show was kind of looming in the background the whole time. And then you hear that the original creators are gone and you're like, okay, this is going to be a, a bit of a train wreck. And maybe it wasn't a complete train wreck, but yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't it. It definitely was not it to say the least. Yeah. Now, so Brandon, you've got probably the most interesting story here of all of us, because you are probably the one here that has watched the after the last airbender original cartoon, the most recently. So just walk me. So as, for the first time for the talking TV viewing audience, voice them like what it was actually getting to experience that for the first time recently because like i, I like because this is a unique experience because like i don't think any of us have gotten to experience that except aside from luke like for the first time like as an adult right. like it's, it's yeah, kind of yeah. insane right yeah yeah so for me like i mean i'd heard about i i had seen like like similar to luke like maybe a couple episodes like when i was a, like a kid like kind of just in the periphery like not actually following it linearly like at all uh, but then like you, like you and a couple of my other friends, like hyped it up a lot. So I, I remember like, I started watching like the first couple episodes and cause I can't, I hadn't seen any like kid shows in a long time. It was kind of like a bit of an adjustment to kind of get back into that. But past, like, honestly, it didn't take long at all. Like maybe first three episodes and I was like, oh shit, this is like actually amazing and then as you get to like the end of book one and then especially like book two like it's just so so good and like now i stand by it that it's not like just one of the best like kids shows like it's actually just like one of the best shows period that i've seen and like incredibly specific and honestly just amazing like in every way like i felt so cohesive and well when i heard like they were doing a live action adaptation i was like well I'm also kind of a purist when it comes to that. I'm like kind of almost always against it because yeah. it's just I don't really see the point in like destroying something or trying to, I don't know, like just watch the fucking show. Like that's kind of how 
but yeah so i mean i just i'm such a fan like i think i i think the like that show is like honestly magical like the, the original it really is because what that show accomplished at a time when really i would say that i would say that there was much more of an impetus put on what they're trying to accomplish in cartoon storytelling. It's really weird because where we're at right now with cartoons, specifically for kids, is they're like, we're at this point where a lot of people still don't take like, mostly like kiddie cartoons seriously. But the level of like storytelling and attention to detail is a lot more cohesive now than it was, I'd say like close to like 18 years ago when this first premiered. And what was so yeah. fascinating about the approach that they took to the show, specifically, like I said, the two, the two original creators, Brian Konietzko and Michael Dante DiMartino, is that mm. it was the first time you ever saw them attempt to take like, okay, no, we're not going to have this just be like an episode of the week, jokey, fun, like distracting kids thing with like a ton of jokes and crazy references and whatnot. And however many like crazy sexual innuendo. For lack of a better, we're not going to make this like South Park or Family Guy, but for kids, yeah. we're going to do this as a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. And how they frame it, right? They frame it as a journey that has a lot of stops along the way. But at the end of the day, they set it up like pretty early on in that animated show. The goal is we've got to defeat the Fire Lord. We've got to, you know, kind of unify this world that has been broken and restore balance, you know, which also ties into a ton of themes, uh, specifically, you know, Eastern themes they were trying to get to, you know, the idea of, you know, that they were trying to tie into the show. And at the end of the day, Right, It was this cohesive three-act story that they told across the course of three seasons comprising of 20-some-odd episodes. And with the exception of a couple of episodes that I guess you could say are filler, for the yeah. most part, they pretty much accomplished that. And they did it pretty damn well. So much so that you have shows now that are coming out that are still trying to capture the magic of that and still not quite doing it. So much so to the point that even Avatar's own sequel show the Legend of Korra, as, as misunderstood as I think that show was when it came out, right? You want to talk about it, it's like, wow, people were really not ready to have any sort of a, any sort of a sequel to Avatar when that came out. Like, even that couldn't really measure up because even Korra devolved sort of into like a, more so like a villain of the week, only this kind time like villain of the season sort of a thing, rather than this grand overarching story with all these different characters and all rich characters specifically and all these different arcs, like, it's almost like the algorithm, as it usually does, was reading my mind. Because literally, as I like, while I was on a break in between episodes yesterday, I was scrolling through, and I saw just like a random clip pop up. It was like a montage of like this Toph making fun of the fact that she's blind. And I'm like, bro, how the fuck did they get away with this in a kid's show? Like, it's insane. Like, they literally have Katara straight up saying like, wow, Toph must be nice if you can see that. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> what? Like, it's just... Like that shit that they would never even touch today. And that's not even, and those are just like dumb jokes that they're making. You know, that's not even getting into like the deeper storytelling element. So, naturally, right, when I hear that they're making this show, right, the first thing that I think of, obviously, is the Shyamalan movie, because that's the first thing that anybody thinks of when, because again, they already tried to do it live action. M. Night Shyamalan directed, and M. Night Shyamalan who had already not had the best reputation at that point because he'd already directed Lady in the Water and The Happening at that point, which are two movies that really don't age that well. And Hey, man, The Happening was funny. Listen, it was funny. <laughs> it doesn't make it a good movie, all right? Good movie, okay, my book. Hot dogs off. and cough syrup <laughs> and all, the, all that bullshit that was in that movie. But my point being that Shyamalan kind of scorched earth that movie before it even came out because he even admitted, yeah, I really don't give a shit about this and I'm only making this because my kids love the show. I don't even think that he'd watch the show at the time. And that movie yeah. kind of measured up and was what it was. And it's kind of funny when you go back and look at how many people were in that movie too. Like Dev Patel is in that movie as Zuko at like 
18 years old. You got fucking Isif Manvi and Cliff Curtis. And ironically, Dodge right. And going back to the fact that I will never stop torturing you about these fucking Transformers movies. You know who the chick who played Katara in that movie was, right? I don't want to talk about it. That's you the know. chick who played Mark Wahlberg's daughter in Transformers Age of Extinction. Which you mean is Age of Consent. Uh... Age of Consent. Exactly. Even worse. Even worse with the fucking ever shrinking short shorts. And but, but here's but what's even funnier is UA in that movie ended up voicing a character in Legend of Korra. So like and, and also the guy who played Sokka in that movie ended up being in all five movies of Twilight, which is even funnier. But anyways, the point the, the, the connections never stopped there. But the point being is that they'd already taken a shot at this live action one. And it's yeah, but like, wait, wait, wait! But you yeah. can't. It's not a shot if it's like adapting three seasons into a movie. It's like right, I don't but know the idea was like, always uh, supposed to be like it was supposed to be a trilogy of movies, and the fact that they missed so hard with that first season, you know? That's yeah. That's but things have shifted a little bit since 2010. You know, here we are, 14 okay, years later, it. which I cannot fucking believe that it's been 14 years since 2010. But oh let's just God. say, yeah, oh yeah, oh. Totally. I didn't know Jackson Rathbone was Sokka. Well, Sokka. Yep. 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 That's- What's his name? Jasper from Twilight? Yeah. 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 He is. I, I remember I saw that immediately because Twilight had already had like its first two movies and my mom was like obsessed with those movies and <laughs> I read the books too. And th- Let's not get into that. Anyways, the point being is they'd already taken a shot at this and they'd already missed pretty hard. So when they said that they were going to do it again, they're like, okay, we're going to take another shot at this. But they're like, yeah, it's Netflix involved and it's got the original creators involved. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then they released that first still image of like, it was just like the far wide shot of Appa and you could like barely see like the silhouettes. And I'm like, okay, they've actually like sort of got more of more of a look closer to the to the original animated series. So we this might actually be something worth checking. I'm not, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to write it off completely, but like this, this might have a shot. And then you hear the news, the original creators have walked. And that's when we're like, oh, this is going to be another one of those. And credit where credit is due. Netflix put the most amount of money into their marketing for this show that they have ever put into anything. Because as we all know, Netflix does not market shit. They rely completely on their algorithm and the fact that they have kind of become like this well-known brand entity in the age of, of streaming services almost becoming their own IP, which is really weird to talk about. And I guess the reason why I stressed that this is Netflix's The Last Airbender is I think that of all, we this is not the first one of these that we've seen, an adaptation of something that's already kind of beloved that looks very aesthetically similar to it, live action, but does not really carry any of the essence of the original. I, I, the, the close comparison that I can think of is when Disney attempted to do this with The Lion King, where they were trying to essentially visually make that look as realistic as possible without having like any of the flair and poppy fun and really heart of the original and what i'll say that netflix did with this adaptation is they did something that i noticed that they did with a couple of their anime adaptations now death note being the exception i would say with cowboy bebop and one piece and dantre you've actually i believe seen the one piece live action show so you'd be able to comment on this better than me which is trying to capture aesthetically the look of it Mm-hmm. But as far as the actual storytelling goes, trying to do something completely different. Because I'm sorry, these characters in the show may have the same names of the characters that we know from the animated show, but these are not the same characters. This barely resembles the same story. Like, they still have the same essence of bare bones, you know, last surviving airbender, trapped in an iceberg for 100 years, woken up, discovers that he basically slept through the war, and now has to accept his destiny as the last airbender and avatar in order to unite the world and defeat the Fire Lord, yada, yada, yada. But all the micro bare bones along the way, yeah, it's, it's not there. So, Brandon, so I, I wanted to start this piece with you, like, immediately off the bat. Like, we're watching the first episode, and we're just immediately like, 
something's off here. Like something's immediately off. And I would say that it was probably when we got to Warriors of Kiyoshi and just what the <laughs> hell they're doing with Suki and Saka. I mean, bro, we were literally just sitting there. We're high out of our minds. And we're like, this, this Oh, let's take it from here, please. No, no. It was like, I guess I was so alarmed about how, well, one, like how Sokka's character just absolutely like is not the same at all. Like, cause he, he's super like sexually driven and inadequate in like the, the show. And so like, it made no sense to me that like Suki was the one pursuing him but just out of absolutely nowhere. And like, they're like their whole like fighting sequence, like in the woods. And I just like, I like couldn't stop laughing at the whole thing. You mean you like, didn't like when she just got put into a chokehold? Just... <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, he could just stand up maybe. Like, yeah. I, was, yeah. I was so confused about that. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a clear explanation of why everything happened the way it did. Um, but I, Continue yeah. your thought. Though. I don't want to yeah, yeah. cut you off. Well, no, what I was well, what I was gonna say to that is just that, like, well, I mean, the, the first no, thing I, I noticed immediately, like, oh God. yeah, what, what what I was noticing immediately was that Saka, the actor, played him at one facial expression, like throughout the entire show, and I'm like, okay, are we gonna get like a little yeah, more, yeah, like a, a little bit more, anything? And then the, by the eighth episode, I'm like, wow, he really does have that same facial expression the whole show. Like, and it sucks because well, you're talking- to add on to that, yeah. like, same. oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. A little delay. No, I was just gonna say, like, I what hurt me the most about like his characters, I feel like they killed his wit, like, or like his like the the humor aspect, like, just completely fell flat. Because one, like the editing at times, like made absolutely no sense for like a cohesive tone. And, and it just ended up playing off as like super like network television. Like I, I was what I said to Dom was like, I was because we're trying to figure out like, like what gave it this like really strange feel that, that like was kind of stuck super melodramatic. It's because they kept shooting these like singles out mm-hmm. of nowhere. And then there's the scene where like the, the all the Kyoshi warriors are like interact like when they finally come face to face with the Fire Nation and they cut to like a wide out of nowhere and it's like the most humorous humorous thing like I couldn't I just couldn't understand what the intention was there and I don't know man like it just hurt that the essence of like like both Suki and Sokka in that episode like was automatically I could tell them like oh they're they're not staying true to like right. these characters and at all. Exactly. And like the fact that like I already knew that I'm like, okay, the, the the problem, right, with every modern thing now is they have to make every male character, like you were saying, Brandon, inadequate. And they have to have them be taught a lesson by said female characters. Here's the problem with that though. The original already did that. Mm-hmm. And it did yeah, it really, really fucking well. well. Exactly. Incredibly really, well. really well. So they're like, so the writers are in a situation where they're like, how do we do this better when it's already been well done? And I mean, the results speak for themselves, obviously. And that's just with Sokka and Suki. That's not even getting into Katara. That's not even getting into fucking, uh, the, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Fire Lord and Azula, who we get way more screen time for in the first season that we did in the original. And I have to say, was it really necessary? That's before we even get into Boomy and the whatever the uh, fuck <laughs> happened in Omashu. Like, dude, I mean, Luke, what were your thoughts? So, Luke, you only you were like, you go only make it through the first four episodes and then you're like, I'm done. I, I can't keep doing this. It wasn't even so much like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I was like, this is just like 
fine it's whatever it's nothing but i'm getting nothing out of out of continuing yeah. like I, I'm, I'm committed to the pod. I'm not that committed to the pod that I I need to finish the season to, to talk about it. I, I've seen enough. And actually, I, I've seen more than enough. I've seen all three seasons of the show, a much better show. Yes. Uh, I think my, my main gist of it, it was just lacked the energy that the original show had. Like everyone was expressive. Of course, that goes to the animation. They can have big eyes and, and whatnot. Um, I thought there were a few actors that were doing better than others. I, like the guy who plays Zuko, I thought from the from what I saw, I thought he was, Lou, yeah. Yeah. He, he was doing a good job. Aang had some good moments, but Katara and Sokka, they were like Yeah. Where, where's like you said, where's the where's the funniness? Where's the where's the wit? Where's where's the sibling uh, conflict yeah. that they have? And yeah. Like I didn't even get to like most of the Azula stuff. Like Azula is my favorite in the show, so I'm just not gonna keep watching to to yeah. see what happens. Exactly, to exactly. Not to mention the fact that like we were we were watching and it was like, why does Azula look 12 years old? Especially, and I mean, this yeah. is always the craziest thing, I right? Know. Is the fact that in the show, right, it is established that Zuko and Sokka are the same age and Azula is younger, which is news for me because for the longest time I always thought that Azula was the older sibling. I was yeah, always thrown off by the fact too. that Zuko was older, right? So the fact of, okay, so Azula is younger than Zuko, right? But she looks 12 years old. Okay, Sokka and Zuko are supposed to be the same age, but Sokka looks like almost damn near a decade older than Zuko, who looks closer in age in this to Aang than he does like in his counterpart. Yeah. And like, that's the whole joke yeah. that's made in the first episode is the fact that when Zuko meets Aang for the first time, he's like, I was told the Avatar was this great warrior. You're just a kid. And Aang throws it right back at him. It's like, well, you're just a teenager. And like, that's the type of wit and charm that was missing. Like, I, I'll never forget like joking around with my brothers. Like this was like a thing that we would talk about relentlessly at the end of the second episode when Sokka and Katara save him from the ship and fucking like Sokka's going to get his, his stick. And Zuko grabs it, and then Sokka hits him three times in the head as a comeback from before when Zuko did it to him. And then he raises the, the staff and is like, that's from the Water Tribe. Like, me and my brothers would fucking go at that relentlessly because it was such a funny, charming moment that made it so endearing. And, like, there was none of that here. There was none of that. Instead, you just have, like, what a show that is essentially, once again, like, a, a location-hopping series of side quests in order to get to, like, defeat the main boss but with none of the heart none of the charm it felt like i was watching a video game at times it really did yeah yeah not to mention the fact that i think that the word that i would come to as far as describing this remake because you're right luke it's not the worst thing i've ever seen and standalone on its own i can't say that this is good but like if you never knew anything about the original say that you never even knew that the original existed this isn't the worst thing that i've ever seen but and, yeah, and like that's true. Credit where credit is due, the writers here are adequate stories. Like, like, you can tell that they have, like, a general gist. They have a thing that they're building to, right? And you can tell that this is only going to be the first part of several installments, right? They do do that bit at least. But it's a thing that I've been talking about recently, which is where it feels like writers in Hollywood now. It feels like because nothing original is being made by these studios, right? These studios are only going for well-known IP because that just seems to be the only thing. Like, it's very rare that an original idea can break through, like a severance, you know, because that's probably the most original streaming thing that I've that I've seen recently that actually like broke through and had like a pretty mainstream uh, impact. Like even The Last of Us is based off a very popular video game. You know, so everything has to be an adaptation of an overarching IP. And as much as these studios claim that they're going to be doing something original, I have yet to actually see them do it. So you have something 
like this, right? And you have these writers who are trying to make their own original stance and stink, but they can't do it because they are constrained by the limits of adaptations of things that not only are just adaptations, but they're adaptations of well-known IP. So because like at the end of the day, everybody knows Avatar to some extent. It's the same way that everybody knows Star Wars now to some extent. Everybody knows Marvel Comics. Everybody knows DC Comics. Like those aren't niche properties anymore they are widely yeah. known mainstream intellectual properties that for the most part everybody has some sort of familiarity with specifically the writers that they are bringing into these writing rooms you know who have for the most part all grown up with this kind of stuff you know because you have to assume that these writers are mm -hmm. all within our respective age range maybe a little older but the point is that they've grown up with all this stuff so with all of that being said, you essentially have an impossible task. You essentially have to create your own original stance on something that everybody already knows and everybody's going to be breathing down your neck if you don't like get it exactly like the original. But if you do it exactly like the original, it's like, what's the point? It's a, it's a no-win scenario. It's a Kobayashi Maru. So, Dodger, with that being said, you were mentioning something before about like there's a stark reason as to why like the Suki stuff, all that. So please, go, go into yeah. that. Um, I just like originally like, you know, there was like right before the show came out on Netflix, there was just like a bunch of articles that came out about how they were moving the sexism out of the show. Uh, yeah. And the, the the problem with that, like I get it, you know, it's out of pocket as well. Times has changed from like back in 2010. But that part drew like Sokka to character development because it yeah. wasn't until Sokka got his ass beat by Suki in the cartoon that changed his entire mindset because Sokka was like, I'm a warrior because he's kind of following like what the water tribe is like the men are warriors, the women are healers or, you know, caregivers and stuff like that to the children. So when Sokka pulls up to Kyoshi Island with Aang and Katara, he's like, Oh, I'm a warrior. I'm much stronger than you guys. And he gets his ass beat. Then, then there's like the relationship between him and Suki that's formed and the show, the live action, it was just so awkward because like it's missing something because it was just taken out. There's no way that Suki was that aggressive. There was no need for like, you know, especially in film, like it's always like the females that drive the sexual uh, interactions in movies and TV and television because it seems too aggressive when males do it. So it's like, it's just weird. So it's like when Suki put him in a chokehold, I'm like, oh, this is what we got going on. And then, you know, I was like, oh, <laughs> all right and i have to say like the second episode is like one of like the best episodes that i've seen because of like i'll get into stuff later but it just it just was weird at first it was just weird and i think you took a key part of Sokka's like character development moving forward it just didn't make any sense um yeah but, yeah yeah i couldn't agree more especially given that like what we got, right? So they, they essentially, right? So they're adapting pretty much all of Book One Water with this season, right? Which again mm -hmm. is a 20, what, 21, 22 episode season? 20 episodes. Like 20 episodes. 20 episodes, right. So yeah. you're taking a 20 episode season. And they, and again, for as much as they claim that they cut a lot of filler, a lot of those episodes, even in Book One, are pretty fucking important. Like those are episodes that include like the waterbending scroll, the storm, the blue spirit. Also, they completely cut Jong Jong as well. Ang's first firebending team. They cut that completely, you know? Bato. A lot of episodes that are, like, really crucially yeah. important for setup and establishing these characters. And they're kind of trying to all mix and mesh them into one. So, already, you're getting characters that are showing up, like, way earlier than they're supposed to. And, like, out of like out of place and everything. Like, you got... Right, so, so you go to, go to Omashu, like, right after the Warriors Kiyoshi. Okay, that's fine. You know, skip a couple episodes here and there. But then you're already getting introduced to Jet... 
and the and the mechanist and everything. Yeah. And then when you're introduced to Zhao and Zhao's whole character is completely different than what they did originally. They have mm -hmm. Ken Leong from Lost and X-Men, The Last Stand playing him. And he's doing a completely different take on that character. And they're trying to like include Azula and Ozai into all these different uh, in all these different ways like try and set them up really like before versus in the show what made it in the original what made it cool is the fact that ozai the the fact of the matter is you really didn't actually see ozai until the third season because they wanted to set him up as it's actually mm -hmm. kind of pretty brilliant what they did is how they set him up as this over looming threat that you didn't really see almost like again brand what we were telling what we were talking about yeah, yesterday the fact that the problem with so much modern filmmaking is that they want to show everything and the problem yep. is that what makes so much classic traditional storytelling so awesome is the fact that you don't get to see everything, and therefore it increases the suspense in your head. Also, the fact that I don't even think Zuko mentioned that he even had a sister until the attack on the Northern Water Tribe, and then you saw her for the first time at the end of that episode, establishing, oh, so now not only do we have Zuko's dad to deal with, you got Zuko's sister to deal with, and then when you actually meet her in the second season, you realize what a manipulative, just conniving but also like super interesting and fascinating character she is. And I feel like seeing them this early and turning them into these generic stock villains just robs them of all this. And also just like the way they introduce Azula in this show with the yeah. fucking, oh, she's infiltrating these rebels that are trying to get into the palace and kill Oza. And none of these guys, I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, mm -hmm. what, what are we doing? Yeah. Here? I mean, I, I want to, like, speak to what you're saying because I feel like there's a couple of things that came to mind when you guys yeah. were just talking. Like, the one thing is, like, like the mystery aspect. I feel like it, like, I, you know, it is an impossible task to, like, have to adapt something like this because no matter what, someone's going to be angry. But at the same time, I feel like foundationally, like, what's missing is, like, the original, uh, like, Last Airbender is made for an intelligent audience. Like it's made it and, and it's built into like a lore, a proper lore. And to do that, like you need to have some of that mystery to it or else mm -hmm. you're just showing us everything. And it Better turns into know. like, uh, exactly. Like turns into this, like, you know, like kind of networky or like, so like almost like soap operatic, like exposition of a show, which mm -hmm. is fair, but it's a different like thing. Yeah. And like, I, I get like, I get that. And I get that that maybe that is part of the intention, but I couldn't figure out like the way that they made it. Are you making this like for the original fans as well? Or are you like just turning this into a whole other thing? Right. Because it because automatically by even how they open the show in the first place, like show like showing like the first 20 minutes. I was like, oh, this is already a different show. Yeah, exactly. Be because we don't get, like, it's so much more effective. I mean, you learn, like, if you've read any, like, fucking screenwriting book or taken any film courses, like you said, like, it's 100% like, sh like, show don't tell. Right. And I kind of feel like that is the exact opposite of this show. Yeah. And, like, yeah. fundamentally, like, just I think all the problems kind of go back to that for me where I'm like, Oh, like I lose all of the mystery. Like I yeah. lose, I don't want to see Ozai yet. Like I don't want to see Azula because it makes them so much cooler later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like exactly. I, I feel like that comes with like, and I noticed with a few other things, like they just want to throw everything in there in this first yeah. season. Like exactly. when they get a second season, yeah. that's, I mean, they're probably going to get a second season. Yeah, but I mean, they, they've they already don't, convened a writer's room before they even got the renewal. So yeah, if, if they don't, they'll throw in all the Fire Nation, uh, Tylee, 
Azula, and those they'll throw in the cabbage guy, they'll throw in secret tunnel, they'll throw in every little yeah, gag that, yep. that they can afford to. Like, I'm surprised Toph didn't show up. And like, right, I, I was actually yeah. surprised yeah, that he didn't get a hit to Toph, like anything. But, but like here, it's short sighted. You, you, you fans, you love this. You love these little things. Make sure yeah. we get these in and forget yeah. about the, well, the character arcs and whatnot. Speaking of secret tunnel, like we technically got it if you went like, through it. We got it in a way. Oh, like oh no, we absolutely got it. We, literally we got it. Cave of two yeah. lovers, which is not until season two. Like yeah, so it's like yeah. you know, you know, like we got it, and it was just like damn. But I, I'm not gonna lie, I did enjoy the way how they did it a little bit because it was quick. It was just getting out of there. But should it have been right now? No, no. Absolutely no. not. It's like the way that yeah. I see it, right, is whenever people talk about filler, right? We've talked about this a lot, right? Filler, mm-hmm. unfortunately, is it's an unfortunate, uh, I would say, byproduct of the way that television was run for so long, which is that they, right, they had these sometimes 22, 23 episode quotas to hit. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to have every episode be an absolute banger if that's the case. If you have to churn mm-hmm. out 20 episodes, like the average. television count that we've seen over the last like decade has shrunk from like it went from like 13 right when the sopranos really changed the model in the early 2000s and that was hbo's model for the longest time and then game of thrones kind of shrunk that down to 10 and now the average episode count that we get is like six or seven if that you know sometimes we'll even get some shit that's like not even five episodes you know Mm -hmm. so so by nature of that right you were gonna have a lot of excess and a lot of fat but what was so cool about shows like Avatar, and Avatar, the original, wasn't the only one that did this, but what was so cool about it is you would have, like, the ability to just, like, like you were saying, Brandon, flesh out Mm -hmm. the lore, flesh out the mythos, create this world, really get you, like, infatuated with each of the residents, and so what I felt like was missing by streamlining so much of that lore was, like I said, that essential world building, which, like you said, the fact of this is clearly being made for an audience that does not have the attention span, that is used to a quick binge, right? That is probably going to binge all eight episodes of this in like the course of a day and then move on to watching something else and not think about it, you know? Because it's that because that is just the Netflix model, right? That's what Netflix, yeah. that's how Netflix has fundamentally changed the way that we view media. And they've been doing this for over a decade now. Mm. But what I find is so frustrating is the fact that they're not doing this with anything original. They're using it again. It's it's the same thing with yeah. liking. It's a cheap marketing ploy to just get more subscribers to their platform. That's that's all it is ultimately. And so that's why I use the word unnecessary because obviously when we talk about it, right, we're always trying to come at it from a point of where how can this help contribute to like the content that is pop culture, right? How can this like how is this going to make an impact for like another generation of kids the way that the original did for us, right? Because that's ultimately what we're always looking for. Like we don't like at the end of the day, nobody cares about how many subscribers this is going to get for Netflix. Like nobody cares about that. Nobody, even even executives who work for Netflix don't care about that, right? Because at the end of the day, they're just collecting their monthly stipend bonuses and going home. No, we care about these stories because they mean something because they help us interconnect right. with somebody else and they make us feel alive. And even more so than that, what makes the original so unique and special is the fact that that show understood how to do that from an animated level, which then I went on yeah. to inspire an entire other generation. Like, again, the fact that, like, there are so many people who have tried to claim that Avatar is a form of American anime because it uses different anime 
stylings, right? And it wasn't the only cartoon to be doing this at a time, but it was the fact that it melded so many different incredible storytelling techniques that made it so unique and different, right? It had the mythos, it had the interesting characters, it had the incredible story. And even more than that, I mean, we're also forgetting the fact that, like, Avatar is also kind of the reason why we have Star Wars The Clone Wars, because Dave Filoni was the director of several episodes on season one, and as a direct result of his work on that show was what was what so, caused George Lucas to hire him to do the Clone Wars. And I mean, the last 15 years of animation in Star Wars we have as a result of that. So this show is literally groundbreaking. And the fact that it's kind of devolved into this, right? It's, it, it's heartbreaking. And like you were saying, Brandon, the fact that every fucking five seconds the characters have to go into some monologue about how important <laughs> what they're doing is. And it's like, oh. Yeah, that like, was that was a drag. That was constantly like, having, to, especially like all, all eight episodes, constantly having to keep hearing Aang just be like, "I'm not ready, motherfucker." We know you're not ready. You're twelve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's the point of the show. Like, we get it, bro. Like, it, we get it, little bro. Like, it's gonna happen. Like, it's just your time right now. But you know, just you gotta suffer. You gotta you gotta get through this. But like. Having past avatars having the key tell them now. I have a big problem with this one piece of this of the show. Is no, no, honestly, no. I enjoyed the Kyoshi episode because like we got something brand new that was like, yo, this would be dope if they did this in the show too, channeling her energy into Aang and then popping up. Which again was another that they twisted because of the original that was Roku that did that. Right. Now, here's my biggest part. Roku's my favorite character, right? Yeah, Roku's an awesome. How the fuck they did not know each other? They were best friends before all this went down. I mean, Boomy. No, Roku and Aang knew each other. Well, no, no, no. Remember, remember, Roku didn't know Aang. Roku had a close connection to Aang because when Roku was training at the Air Temples, Roku was friends with Gyatsu. Because he trained with Gyatsu uh... when he when they were when they were when he was going around learning how to be the avatar. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like gotcha. you know, like that friendly connection, like they had, right. like completely gone. Like right, like Roku's arguably one of the most important mentors that Aang has yeah. throughout right. the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, not so to it's just the fact like, that like they kind of relegate Roku to just being another mm-hmm. past avatar that he communicates with. Meanwhile, right, so we only get hints of Kyoshi, right? Mm-hmm. We don't actually see Kyoshi in like full form until season two. And as far as it's, like communicating with other past avatars, like previous to Kyoshi, we yeah. don't get that until fucking Sozin's Comet. All the way at the end of the show, when he's yeah. trying to find a, a, another way to end the war without killing Ozai. Yeah. You know, and that's oh, when we get yeah, Karuk, yeah. and that's when we get the the previous airbender uh, a- avatar whose name I'm forgetting right now, right? But yeah. so, they kind of relegate, so that's just Roku, right? As far yeah. as another legacy character that is crucially important in terms of influencing Aang's journey that has just kind of devolved into comedic relief also another like fun it's a roku that actor doctor did you recognize that actor yeah i did yeah so for anyone who has not seen dexter that's the guy who plays masuka the goofy fucking uh lab uh blood blood work guy from dexter oh yeah yeah Yeah, i was like i instantly do i was like wow wow yeah they really dug in the bag to get this one oh yeah oh yeah oh bro and not even to mention the fact that like the legacy people so they had george takai who famously had a very 
very like crucial part in the first season of that show as like this basically this fire bet as uh the voice of this uh this fire nation uh basically prison concentration camp captain when Katara tried to infiltrate this prison camp in order to in order to motivate these earthbenders to free themselves and they had George Takai as the voice of Ko in this and I'm like oh I'm like why and then also like the way that they introduced Wang Chitong before you even got the library and I'm like so we're not even doing we're not even setting up the library for for the eclipse and everything that's coming later on in the right. show, you know. So so we're already just skipping yeah. that out of the way. So we're already doing that. And yeah. Also, they introduced the fog of lost souls, which is an element that they didn't even introduce until Korra. Like if we're like if we're really going down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. of things they screwed up. And like okay, so the two biggest things that I had right, Boomy. I had a big problem with how they <laughs> Boomy. Where fucking the whole thing of Boomy is in the show, right? The original. Boomy knows who Aang is the minute that he steps foot in the city. And the mm-hmm. whole thing is a test in order because Aang doesn't recognize Boomy. So the whole thing is in order to try and, like, help Aang remember him so that way Aang can, like, be provoked to think differently and think outside the box when it comes... Again, another crucial foundational step in establishing his journey. And yeah. in this shit, we get, oh, Boomy's mad at Aang for being frozen in an iceberg for a hundred years. An action that was out of his control because it was a gut-like survival instinct that the Avatar state caused when he almost drowned. So, like, there's a whole lot of shit, right? The fact that, like, in the original show, the only people that were mad at Aang for not being here for the last hundred years were people who didn't understand how the Avatar state worked. And understandably so. Aang didn't even understand how the Avatar state worked when it happened. And as a result, that's why he was feeling so guilty when he found out that he couldn't be there for the, um, what's called, for, for when the Fire Nation attacked and, and murdered and all the Air and Elmad. So yeah. you just have all of this like crucial character building that helps establish these guys that is just thrown away for, well, I don't even know, like, if, if this new sort of attempt at character building even works. So there's that. Yeah. There is one thing, though. There's one thing that I will say that was interesting, right? So in the shows, because you always have, right? Because there's always that phrase, right? A broken clock is right at least twice a day. And in all this shit that they're trying to throw at you, right? All this excess lore that you don't get until later on in the show that is very purposefully and deliberately told you in pieces in the show that they're just kind of trying to throw at you all at once, right? You did get a little bit of interesting stuff, right? So the fact that the show chose to open a hundred years ago, right? At the Mm -hmm. moment when Sozin leads the attack on the Air Temples. And the fact that you start off with Sozin, not Ozai. It's an interesting choice. And I will say, and I will say it did a good job of establishing how this show was trying to differentiate itself from the cartoon. I'm not saying it was the right choice, but I at least appreciate that they were trying to put in the effort to differentiate themselves. But there was one instance, and Luke, you can relate to this as a Kim's Convenience fan. So going into the show, right, one of the biggest names that we saw going into this when they were first announced to the cast members, right, Daniel and Kim, a.k.a. Uh, Jin from Lost. God, I wish Chris was here because Chris would be going nuts right now because this has no, two alumni lost. from... I, I just know him as Dr. Han. Dr. Han, from, right. But, <laughs> from, right, exactly, from, right, from Legend of Korra. But the other one is Mr. Kim himself, Paul Sung-Hyung Lee, as Iroh. And that was, like, a really, really big deal because I was telling Brandon about this a little uh, the other day. You know, Luke, you, me, and Chris, like, bonded over how much we love Kim's convenience, right? And I will yeah. say that, like, Paul immediately differentiated himself as, like, one of the best actors because this is a guy who it feels like, unlike the rest of the cast, who it felt like we're doing just bare-bones impressions of the original characters, Paul did his homework, and he was, like, trying to capture the essence of Iroh while also trying to do his own thing. Like, he's not trying to be the Iroh from the show. But I kind of appreciated that. And the reason why I give him props is specifically in episode four, 
when you get the flashbacks to like, you know, his son, Luten's death, which is the whole motivating factor for his thing. I will say the way that they did it, it did get to me. And in terms of like establishing like the relationship that he has with Zuko, that was one element. That was probably the only element that this show actually added that made me be like, okay, I actually kind of appreciate this because the whole thing in the show, right, is that Zuko is the sub-in for Iroh's lost son. And Iroh's trying to make up with Zuko for where he failed with Luten, right? Mm-hmm. Pushing Luten into this life of war that then ultimately ended up kill that ultimately ended up killing him. And now Iroh forever has to live with and is forever trying to repent for the guilt of ultimately like losing his son. And it's yeah. a really, really heartbreaking tragedy. It's why Iroh's often regarded as one of the best characters on the show. And I will say that while Again, there were a lot of other elements that were missing in their vast attempt to kind of shove everything in our face. That was one that they almost stumbled upon. That was like a brief moment of genius that they almost didn't realize it was. Because when Zuko is at the funeral in the flashback and he's like kind of telling Iroh the story that he had of Luten, where everybody else is just coming up and be like, oh, Luten, you know, he died with full honors, all that. And Zuko like tells his heartbreaking story about how Luten would always be there for him when he was a kid. And then he comes and sits next to Iroh. That I thought was a really, really touching moment. And one of the few instances where this struck gold. And then, unfortunately, we had to go into the bullshit of the Spirit World and the Fire Sages, which also featured another Lost alumni. Really weird how many Lost alumni ended up in this show. Daniel Day Kim, Ken Leung, and then Francois Chow, who played, um, ironically enough, Ken Leung's father, the guy who was revealed to be Ken Leung's father on the show, on Lost, um, as the Fire Sages and the stupidity with the Spirit World and all that. And then, just as soon as we got into the fucking North Pole and everything that was going on there, I'm like, yeah, this is really dumb. And I'm sorry, like... The, the, that Amber Mid-Thunder actress, the one who was in Legion, and then had the one-off episode of Reservation Dogs as UA, like, bro, I mean, you thought Sokka's relationship with Suki was bad. Oh, my God. Like, first of all, like, can we just talk about how, in the original, how amazing it was, how they were able to build up Sokka's whole relationship with UA in, yeah. like, the course of three episodes, and the fact that, like, you and that actually sold, like, a completion of Sokka's arc from, like, this kind of, like, idiot who had really had no interaction with the outside world of going through this fully-fledged arc, down to the point where the rest of the warriors are consulting him because he's the only one that's actually had experience fighting the Fire Nation. And then, the, yeah. like, I mean, Dontre, you were saying it yourself, like, the, the, the shit with Katara and Paku, that was another instance of yeah. where, again, the original did it better in terms of already handling the blatant sexism and overcoming it, and this show was, like, trying to have it both ways, where they're trying to have it, but they can't, and... Ugh. Yeah, no, it, like, I, I just want to talk about, like, some of the things that I did like yeah. from the show so far and i'll get into that you know um i'm real i love the we got the flashback of like what happened 100 years ago yeah. um the yeah. you know the air temple they was really throwing down but the crazy part that like nobody realized until later in the show in the cartoon is that the firebenders got their powers amplified by the by comet. Social's comet exactly so yeah. it was like you know there was nothing they could have did right because nobody knew about that Right. But like as moving forward, it's like, yeah, bro, so is comet, it amps them up. So it's like a bad time to fight them. Um, but I really think that we like that. I wish I would have saw Gyatso drop some bodies first. Yeah. And yeah, then, true. you know, like I would have loved to see that. But also, like, I also like the opening, the beginning, because that's what I thought the earthbending was gonna be like, and then we got something completely different. Later. Yeah. So, and I thought the earthbending was raw. Like it's like almost the, it's like almost like all the budget went into that opening earthbending scene, and then the yeah. rest was just like not it. Um, you know, and I like like I said, like I I, I like the Kyoshi episode, like the second half of it. <laughs> like, you know, just yeah, like his yeah. his communication with Kyoshi, because like I think also another thing that I, like kind of what I didn't like is that like 
all the avatars didn't try to like understand Aang like made his decision like they they made it seem like yo they was with the shits from day uno like you know this is our mission as the avatar we got to do what we got to do I, except for Karuk Karuk was like yo I just wanted to go and protect the spirit world because right. there was some shit going on over there and right. I have no idea but the because humans was like he abandoned us but he was doing something to protect y'all the whole right. entire time. Because that's the other thing that's established as well mm -hmm. is the fact that like each of the different avatars existed in different times and had different conflicts to overcome. Mm -hmm. Like the thing about yeah. Roku, and that's such a crucial establishing factor for Roku's character, is the fact that when Roku was coming up, he came up in a time of relative peace. And yeah. the problem is that he, because mm -hmm. he was also such best friends with Sozo, like they were best mm -hmm. friends, the fact yeah. that by the time, and he spent years away from him training, and I think it took him like the course of like three or four years to complete his training. So by the time he came back and saw that Sozo had changed, he still thought he was like buddy buddies. And by the time he realized what Sozo was doing, it was too late. And then yeah. Sozo had yeah. him X'd and then attacked the Air Nomads when the comet came and that was that, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, those things were like, all right, cool but like i i wish the avatars were kind of understanding like right you know you're you've been watching him like this right. entire time so you knew he was stuck for 100 years you knew that he was gone you knew he's just a kid so it's like there's no way that like any of you as kids or whatever how old you were were like no this is your mission you got to be ruthless especially like kiyoshi mm -hmm. kiyoshi was like you got to be a militant you got to be fierce you got to be what you got to just start dropping off on the off whenever you want to type shit but it's like right. no just give the kid a little bit of empathy a little bit and like have him understand um now my biggest take from this is like we were talking about this about filler and stuff like that some of these filler episodes that we got in the cartoon were like the missing pieces that explain a lot of the big plot points in the show my biggest yeah. problem of the eight episode Netflix live at live action was where the fuck was Aang doing all the other bending masteries like the water bending like Aang at least knew another element going into that the siege of the north northern water. Right, time. he learned yeah, along the way, and the whole bit that they did didn't. with the water bending scroll and why that episode is so fucking crucially important is the fact that that's a good motivation tool for Katara because Katara desperately wants to be a waterbender, right. and her and Aang are both trying to learn from this thing, but Aang is picking it up in like five seconds. And she's, she's having pissed. a hard time, and she's pissed. Yeah, and here it's like no, she picks it up in five seconds flat. Bro, and Dodger, yeah. you nailed this when you called us last night. The motherfucker hasn't even learned air bending by the water bending by the time the show's done. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. he hasn't learned water bending by the time the show's done. Um, and it's like, bro, like, what the fuck is going right? on? Like, like what? And like I was like, I was sitting here watching the final episode, and I'm just like, I swear to god, if he starts bending water without having to learn anything. I'm cooking this when I came on here today. Like, but it yeah. didn't happen. It didn't, it, it happen. didn't happen. Right. Um, you know, but it kind of made sense about how the final fight was when he was with the ocean spirit. It was like the ocean spirit wasn't like bending, it was kind of just like a big like Godzilla moment kind of thing. It was it was a kaiju moment where again it the whole right. thing, right? It's Avatar State merging with the spirit world and yeah. everything. And that and that is one thing that I will say that they actually did adapt pretty well is the fact that in those earlier instances when he accessed the, the Avatar State, he really doesn't have any control. Yeah. Is the thing. And I, and I thought that they did that decently okay, yeah. somewhat. But let's talk about the big elephant in the room. Yeah. After we get the whole, you know, raid on the Southern Air Temple. Well, no, we get we get that in the beginning. Right. Let's talk about how the first five minutes, my man Aang is flying without the glider. Yeah. Yeah. Hear me out. I me, let me cook. This is a lost technique that the Air Nomads forgot. 
They lo- yep. they lost this yep. technique, and, and it wasn't they, until they it wasn't until Okura. when Zahir popped up, yep. and then he got his airbending powers, and he was like, "Yo, yep. I'm flying. I don't need nothing else. Right, I'm out here." But then when he escapes from Zuko, shit, he gets yes. shot out the sky. Yes. My man, you forgot to fly, bro. <laughs> 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 apparently, so apparently he lost. He lost more. He, apparently, he lost a lot more of that iceberg than we thought. How much chromosomes did you lose up here, bro? Like, what's what you got going on? So it's it's yeah, suspended it's animation. Really, my ass. It's really weird to see like what they were doing with that at the same time because it's like you made yeah. him fly in the first ep- like the, in the beginning of the episode. He goes away for a hundred years. He forgets how to fly without the glider, and Aang is falling like I don't know what to do, my man. You were just flying when you was in the Southern Water Tribe at Wolf Cove. You just did it an hour ago, <laughs> and you're yeah. showing off your ability. So it's like that's when I knew I was in. I, was, I had to watch this just for the joke, and I was like, "Let me hit Donald. I gotta go on this episode." I, I mean, not even, not even just that. The fact that, like, the I mean, besides the fact that you're right, right? The fact mm-hmm. that it was a lost technique that didn't even get brought up until the sequel show mm-hmm. is the fact that I'm just watching it and I'm like, "This looks shitty." Like, this yeah. looks really bad. I mean, Brandon, we were talking about the effect shots and everything and how, like, there were certain yeah. scenes where it's like, they just didn't want to pay the fucking extras here. Because there's, like, scenes where there should be, like, <laughs> bustling activity in the background. And it's just, like, this is empty. Like, this doesn't even yeah. look good. Well, you yeah, said it best, like, with, the, like, the earth bending shit. Like, where, like, there'd be, like, I, they may have actually just used their budget. Because there's some mm-hmm. bare sets that honestly look kind of, like, awful because of how bare they yeah. were and it was just like you know i was like damn like y'all really just lost that like instantly and i was like all right i'm gonna keep watching it and as it kept going and going and then like i have like real like weird feelings but i will say like i love zuko like zuko's act the actor for zuko daniel Liu, great cast that for that. Liu, I, think, yeah. I think zuko i think the actor captured what zuko really is because like the whole thing is like zuko is about restoring his honor and going back to the fire nation to be with his father, to be the rightful heir of the the throne, but like you eventually just like realize that like this what I'm doing is wrong. Like you know, not wrong, but he's like what I'm doing is just like it's for my own selfish ambition. Like my father doesn't really care about. But the, this thing we don't get until like the right. end of book one, going into book two, and then we kind of see all the book two is like Zako's, like Zuko's like revelation. Right. But I'm really scared to do a season two because like I want to see how they handle. And getting shot out the sky, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like I'm really scared to see how that, yeah, gets dude, based the off this now. Crossroads of Destiny, yeah. Eee, so it's yikes. like there's so many, and then like even more when you know, if we get a third season, if they decide to stretch it out that far, you know, before Netflix just cancels the shit, yeah. Um, you know, what's gonna happen when we get the actual fight? Is Aang gonna kill Ozai in this situation? Yeah. Like, are they going to change something? Right, you know? exactly. Like, it, it, it's so funny, too, because, right, the, the comparison, right, of the three seasons of Avatar mm-hmm. is always compared to the three original Star Wars movies, right? Yeah. The fact that it's like, you know, book one is New Hope, and then book two, the way that that shit ends, mm-hmm. with Azula yeeting him out of the sky and Zuko ultimately going back on all that character betrayal. But in a way, it almost sets us up for, like, an even better, because, right, Return of the Jedi is often criticized, but I think that they, I still think that they missed the point of that movie completely. Mm-hmm. But, like, Book three fire is like 
such an incredible revelation because you have these characters at their lowest and they have to crawl their way back to back to their feet and prepare for the eclipse. And meanwhile, you have Zuko, arguably more conflicted than he's ever been. He's got everything he's wanted. He's restored his honor, but he's still realizing he's missing that crucial piece, which is that he's changed yeah. too much. And it's, again, one of the foundational establishments of why he's such a compelling character. And, yeah. Mike, I, if, if they try to do some shit like they did with this season for books two and three yikes to say the least like i just it's not gonna have the same impact and yeah. it's just gonna be more like palatable washed out like oh this is fun and cutesy for the sake of being cutesy yeah. also like i know that they, that they tried to do similar yeah. to showing us the attack on the air temples at the beginning but at the end they show azula taking down omashu like what like yeah. It's just again, like just trying to show everything and throw. Did she have the blue the... fire? I saw something like. No. Well, we saw the light. We saw. We saw. We saw a brief uh... hint. We saw a brief hint of the blue fire, and then mm -hmm. we saw a, a little bit she, of the she light. She has to earn it. Like, like right. everyone has to earn their super. It's unlocked. It's DLC. Episode. She got to right. pay twenty dollars for the DLC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. But not even just that. It's the fact that, like, when Azula is introduced, the reason why her she is such a threat is because you bring her in, right? You already saw that, like, Zuko. Zuko's already a pretty established firebender. But then you bring her in, and she's chucking out blue fire and lightning, which you didn't see at all in book one. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, what else are these firebenders capable of? And, like, that's mm -hmm. on top of besides the fact that she is just so connivingly evil and, like, delights in being evil, too. And also, yeah. like... But also, like, has those human elements. Like, when, like, the chase, which is still one of the best episodes of any TV show I've ever seen, where just her and May oh, and Tylee are just yeah. going after them nonstop and not giving them any chance to rest. And, like, when she finally corners Aang in the village and she's doing the impression of Zuko, it's like, yeah, I, I kind of see how these two, like, still have that shit face like snot nose brother and sister bond you know we're like yeah. they're still brother and sister even though they give each other shit and do not get along well at all like that how they pulled that balancing act off again and i cannot emphasize this enough in an animated show made primarily for kids it's 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 mind-blowing to they say the least do it, yeah, yeah. 100%. yeah um, it's it's oh yeah, man. to my last point to touch on with the uh, with paku and katara like yeah now I was watching that, right? And I was like, okay, like the way how they introduced it, Paku was a little too nice. No, in the cartoon, Paku was like, Paku's yo, a you're, dick. Paku's you're a woman. Dick when they when get you, in the healing hut, bro. Yeah. Know your role. He may as well have straight up been like, get in the kitchen. Like they, yeah. they may as well have said that. L low key, that's really literally. What it was. And it was like it was messed up. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. He was immediately late. He was like, yeah, yeah. Like he gaslighted the shit out of it. Like I was like, damn, you fell for the gas. Which is kind of almost worse if you think about it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so she goes <laughs> and she's like, oh, like, I'm going to learn fight. She was like completely oblivious. Yeah. To like, and they're like, no, we don't do that. Like, we don't fight. And she goes, well, like, why am I here? But the whole part of like what drove Katara to fight Paku was like, you know, the fact of trying to change, you know, standards and stuff like that. But also it was Aang learning waterbending from Paku as his master. And then Aang going to take to teach the techniques to Katara, and that's when Pocket yeah. was like, "Yo, fuck is you doing? You know what? You're not my student anymore." Did right, and Katara was like, "Nah, I'm not gonna apologize for that." But during that whole entire fight, the necklace gets knocked off, and Pocket was like, "Yo, I made this for Grand Grand sixty years yeah. ago. Yeah, you, I was supposed to marry her, and that's when that bond happens between the two." Right. 
Not yeah. to mention the fact that that's what makes the payoff of Katara teach finishing Aang's waterbending teaching even more satisfying. Meanwhile, this sure. one, you just have fucking Katara pausing to give another fucking long speech in the middle of a fight where there's fireballs raining around all over. And, and I'm like, I'm so sick of this bullshit when characters will just stop and give like a fucking 20-minute monologue when there's yeah. crazy action going like that infuriates me. That is a trope that I've been seeing way too often. And every time I see it, it infuriates <laughs> me. Not to mention the fact that they literally turn Grand Grand into fucking exposition, and they literally had Grand Grand. Did they couldn't even actually do it in the, the intro? intro. They <laughs> gave right, exactly. The they had her just say the intro from the original. I was like, that was quite jarring. Like, okay, just go okay. ahead, <laughs> read, read the whole intro. Read the yeah, whole just, episode. Just, just, I know it was kind of like secondhand embarrassment. Actually, yeah, watching them. I was literally, like, literally, literally, I was but like, like, given her, and then like the thing we were talking about, like Omashu, was just like the waterbending scroll. How the fuck did the grandma have this? Yeah. We didn't get this until yeah. after. Yeah. Omashu. Like, they had to steal that shit from pirates. Like, that's so the thing. It was like, I get, like, yeah. the whole thing about cutting out filler and stuff like that. But these things were monumental things that filled in the blanks for the main story plot yeah. points. Yeah. And 100%. It, they just, like, missed it 100%. And, like, and I, I'm just not even being too critical of the show because, yeah, it's an adaptation. You have to change things to make it more appeal for live action and stuff like that. From like a film student perspective, and going in the Avatar state, the CG was fucking terrible. Yeah, not good. Not yeah, good. Like especially the the scene where we get the close up of him in the yeah. Southern Air Temple and his mouth is moving oh, and stuff God. like that. And I'm like, I didn't see shit on different levels. Like low budget creators make better stuff than this. Yeah, I mean, Spider Man Lotus too. was better than this, right? Like, and that's, that's a full problem. CGI movie. Yeah, that's the other problem, too. Like I said, is the fact that, like, again, you have an age where fucking YouTube guys can shit out CG that's better than half the CG that we're getting in from most VFX movies now. Yeah. I mean, Doctor, you remember when, like, yeah. the deep fake for The Irishman came out and made the de-aging for De Niro and Pesci and Pacino look 1,000 <laughs> times better than what we actually got. And I'm like, this is some fucking YouTuber who did this for a as a laugh. And, it, and, you know, and, it was and, Disney's version of de-aging for like Marvel's literally, stuff. literally like, de-aging Samuel Jackson looks perfect. And, it, and if, you if you're not even and if you're not even just taking into consideration the CG of it, just the Southern Air Temple aspect, which, again, they tacked on at the end of the first episode when the Southern Air Temple, the third episode is one of the most crucially foundational episodes of the show. Where, again, the fact that because, again, you don't see how the air nomads are dead. And like Aang's heard is like, OK, nobody's seen an airbender, but that doesn't mean that some may not have survived. And you don't find out. That the firebenders got to the air temple until that episode. And because mm -hmm. it's a shock for Aang, realizing in real time that he is the last airbender. Yeah. That's when it's like, that's when the shit really hits the fan. Yeah. That's when you're like, oh, this is the type of show we're dealing with. And here it's like all that amazing tension and, and pathos is robbed of us because we yeah. already saw it. So yeah. it's like, yeah, and I, feel like exactly. I feel like what they ended up doing too is like, which I did like is that they waited, instead of raiding all the temples looking for Aang, right. they waited until all of them came and then wiped them out at once. And I right. was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Now, one key thing that I really loved, and it's later in the series, and I wish it was in the cartoon, was the conversation between Aang and Gyatso in the spirit world. Yeah. That, I that, will say, was good. That was a really good episode because it was like, yo, like, Aang, I think Aang needed that conversation because that's when it, it, it would have got so much real. I think Aang would have took shit more seriously if he had got that done in the cartoon because it's like he understood, like, Gyatso made him understand, like, yo, bro, listen, if you were there 100 years ago, you would have died just like the less of us, little yeah. bro. Like, you would have yeah. not survived that at all. Yeah. You would have got killed out the Avatar state, 
like he almost did anyway. Right. Ruining, you know, right. there, there wouldn't have been another avatar after that. Right. Like, you would have completely just died. Right. So you running away was an okay decision because you got to survive. You got to live on. Now you're here now. Get it done now. Yeah, exactly. But I think feel- that powerful episode yeah before we wrap up and get out of here how do we feel about the usage of gyatso in this because i would say that they almost attempted to swap in gyatso over roku because roku but the the whole thing that they're trying to establish with the original is that gyatso is an element of ang's past ang will always have fun memories of him but but gyatso is always kind of like a reminder of his failure to help the air nomads right which is part of his driving conflict not only across uh last airbender but also going into legend of korra and so they swap him in Roku, who is the most recent avatar in the cycle, in order to like kind of promote his avatar journey. So, how do we feel about them putting more of an emphasis on Gyatso over Roku, who I think we only see once in this entire show? Roku, I don't think I watched far enough for that. Yeah, we only see Roku once, and honestly, I think I wish they would have kept Roku in there because it plays a, a bigger part. And a lot of the things, right. and it helps Aang understand why the Fire Nation is under, like, doing this and why right. they want to exactly. do this. Because Roku's the one that tells him about the connection with Tozen. Roku's the one that tells him about the comet. You know, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other... Uh, Roku also is the one who tells him about if he dies in the Avatar state, that that's it. That cuts that's off it. the Avatar it's, cycle. It's over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. He doesn't know about any of that, I'm so, pretty like, sure, to this point. Now, like, given, given what's going on now, Aang doesn't fucking know. So that's why I'm scared for the next right. season... Because if Aang gets smoked out the Avatar state, like right. he doesn't know, well, I'm feeling like he'll know eventually. Right. But, because the yeah, whole no. thing, right, is that when he goes into the Avatar state at the end of season two, again, it's a last-minute, desperate move because he's got no other options, right? Mm-hmm. And again, he almost dies. If not for Katara with the spirit water, like, and even when he gets resurrected, he's not able to access the Avatar state until Sozin's Comet, right? He's able mm-hmm. to communicate with other Avatars, but he can't access the Avatar state. Like, What's going to happen if he doesn't know that if he dies in the Avatar state? Like, he's got to find that out at some point in Season 2 yeah. before they have the confrontation in Bossing Say, you know? Because that's yeah. the whole big thing that's also established, right, is oh, in both properties, is that Omashu falling leaves mm-hmm. Bossing Say really as the last stronghold that the Earth Kingdom has to stand against the Fire Nation. And the whole thing is that when Bossing Say falls at the end of Season 2, that's it. The Fire Nation is convinced like, we've won, the Avatar is dead, Bossing Say has fallen, World's yeah. ours. We, you know, we're God. Yeah. And that's what also makes the first half of season three so crucial is the fact that they are largely able to operate under the radar because everybody mm-hmm. thinks that they're dead, you know, and that's how they're able yeah. to muster their forces and launch the attack on the eclipse. But now, now that we got Wong Shitong, that ruins the intrigue of the library, which also, how are yeah. they going to set up for the eclipse, which then is going to lead into the whole second half of season two of them getting mm-hmm. Bossing Say and trying to plan this invasion in order to, like, how is all of that going to be effective? So that's all shit that we have, I yeah. guess, look forward to. If the show, which I would assume that this is going to get like, I mean, we'll see if Netflix releases the numbers after this weekend, but I have to assume that this is going to be pretty highly viewed just because of the property. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. pro- the likelihood of them getting a season two was already pretty high to begin with. So yeah. I guess this is stuff that we do have to look forward to yeah. going forward. But with that being said, before we wrap up and get out of here, I wanted each of your guys' final thoughts and star ratings for what you have seen percentage-wise of this first season of Netflix's Avatar The Last Airbender. Luke, we're going to start with you. Yeah, we, we've talked long and hard about this. You, you guys a little more because you obviously watched this whole show. And the only thing that that's made me want to do is, is go back and, and watch the original show now. We, yeah. we, talk, we talk about that more than this one, I, I feel, even. Um, mm-hmm. But final star rating, from, from the stuff that I saw, I would give it a, a solid two and a half stars. Because it, it wasn't atrociously, atrociously insultingly bad. It was just 
it's absolutely fine. I at least I enjoyed the the bending fights. Yeah, like that that was, that was the, yeah. that was really missing right. from the even the Shyamalan version. Yeah. We're not going to mention Shabla that Burns anyway. Where it's like the, the, the choreography in that alone. But like, yeah, but e even that, it's like, it still doesn't hold the candles stick to the original because again, just what they're able to pull off yeah. animation wise. And the yeah. fact that even in animation, they did their homework in terms of like mimic, deliberately like mimicking different actual forms of Kung Fu and different fighting techniques and in order to differentiate like the different forms of bending in their related. It's, it's just, it's masterful, the attention to detail that they were yeah. able to do. In so, terms of season two, I'll watch the bossing, the Tales of Bossing Say episode because that's like the episode yeah. of the show that yeah. everyone's yeah. like. But again, they already told you about Lieutenant, so like, how is that even going to have the same impact? Like, there's, live like, there's no point. Yeah, there's right. no point. If right. they don't have the uh, yeah. the haiku battle, then they yeah, they, fail. yeah. Oh man, and they're at the pips and paps. Oh, less said about that, the better. Brandon, so for your first time on the Talking TV podcast, what would you say your yeah. final thoughts and star rating is for? Netflix's Avatar, The Last Airbender. Okay, yeah, my final thoughts, and it might be a little bit redundant from what I was saying earlier. I think, like, the thing that was missing for me was, like, just, like, like the mystery and intrigue and, like, the kind of, mm -hmm. ah, I guess, intelligence, honestly, like, of the original. And I think that it was hard for me to see, like, how much of, like, the big things were thrown in it just so like we could have like a oh yeah like we're doing this for you guys like to yep. the audience like remember that that's hard for me exactly little, little exactly remember berries there and that's that's what's hard for me because it's like honestly like this show is okay like if i'm just looking at if i had like not a lot of attachment to the original mm -hmm. show like it's like it's like a decent show you know like it's not bad and yeah i can see like why i, I can honestly see why i bet you a lot of people are actually gonna like the show mm -hmm. like uh but I don't know. For me, I, I'd probably give it like a three stars because it was like, you know, it was okay. Like, there's a lot of like personal problems I have that are mostly like emotional attachment to the original show yeah. now. Yeah. But no, yeah, like, it, you know, but they should definitely cast me on the further seasons. Yeah, like, they yeah. should. Yeah. <laughs> Who would they cast you as, though, is the question because the problem is all uh, the characters in season two, they already fucking kind of used. They're already there. One. Yeah, they're already there. The only characters play, in season two that we can get is off. Can you play blind girl? I can play blind girl very well. You can just play the tourist in Boston saying, like, there's no war in Boston, say. Oh, shit. Exactly. No, actually, no. Long Fang. Exactly. Long Fang fucking the leader of Lee. Yeah. That yeah, actually yeah. would be – Brandon, I can actually see you pull that off. See? There you go. So, that, can, yeah, that would actually be pretty sick. Can that you be the big be owl in the temple? Well, we, are, well, we already got yeah. him. We already got him, remember? Well, we already we got the owl. Yeah, yeah I didn't get that far. Oh, yeah, he didn't get them. When they go into the spirit world, the first spirit that they meet is Wang Shitong. The, the giant owl. So, I might watch that clip just to, just yeah, just to see, to see it. And, yeah, and ironically okay. enough, the actor who voices him is the same actor who voices Master Ugwe in Kung Fu Panda, Randall yeah. Duck Kim. But uh, speaking yeah. on that, though, uh, Washington, yeah. like, the, the way how they did it, it was like, oh, that Sokka and Katara couldn't hear him because he couldn't, they couldn't, their minds are so feeble, he couldn't, they couldn't translate what he was saying, but only anger. Right. So I'm like, oh. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Dontre, your final thoughts on star rating for Netflix's Avatar: The Last Airbender. Right. If we're if we're doing it out of five, it's going to be controversial. Um, I'm gonna have to give it like a three and a half out of five. Reason being because I can see the vision, I can see where they were going with it. I think moving forward, season two, if you had more money and you took more time to understand what the fuck you're doing, because I felt like the showrunner is gonna have to understand about what you just did for the season one and the feedback that's coming out. And this form of content sure. what we're doing right now, 
you gotta go back and just be like, yo, listen, like we missed we missed some points here. Like my man's isn't water bending in the first season. That's just fucking in the it's book one yeah. water. You know what I mean? So it's like if we go eight episodes or we get more in book two and my man hasn't thrown a stone at somebody. Right? What the fuck you got going on, bro? We literally got a whole episode in season two of Toph just teaching Aang that earthbend because Aang has the huff, toughest time with earthbending because yeah. it's literally the opposite of everybody. You know, like, if we don't get that. So it's like, you know, like, there's, like, a lot, like, I think they could just do, like, fix up. It's not, like, there's some major points that you definitely need to fix, but there's also some minor things, too. But there's also some other good parts that you could really just take and just work on and moving forward. I think the cast is good. I think chemistry can form. I think Sokka and Katara are the weird, the, the two weirdest parts of Team Avatar right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, it feels like they're not really a sibling, like Katara and Sokka. They're not really siblings. They're just like adopted people. Like, and then like, A. Yeah. And I think that's also like, some people are going to be like, oh, well, where's like the, the love interest between like Aang and Katara? That was always weird in the cartoon. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised moving forward. Like that's not a thing. Like angry car doesn't come become a thing until later in the end. Of, right. The end of the book. That makes yeah, sense. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with how they had Katara having the hots for Jet when they did. That like you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, that was hilarious. So it, it's just like I think I think it has potential to be good, but again, you know what we talked about the entire time. Right. Like it's a it's an adaptation. We we're not gonna get a one for one. I don't want to see a live action of what we saw as the cartoon almost twenty years ago. But like, there's just some just understand the source material. Like, it's there. The lore building is there. You just, you really need what Brandon was saying is like you need this mystery element. Like, you yeah. need. It's really just an adventure. It's an adventure show. But like, there's no sense of adventure. Planet hopping, island hopping doesn't work if you don't have anything in between to build it up. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I that's true. I, I, I give it I give it a three and a half out of five because like I I see the vision. I see what they want to do. The, the movie didn't have that at all. It no, was just, no, it did not. I'm gonna just start casting people and just, you know, fucking yeah. shit up. But casting a lot of white people also who can't act as well, which, yeah. yeah. So, and I feel like M. Night Shyamalan just casted his friends in that. M. Night Shyamalan literally straight up admitted he didn't give a fuck. He was only doing it for his kids, but he couldn't even do yeah. that right. So I guess that yeah. shows you what he thinks of his kids. But hey, you know, his so, daughter's yeah. directing a movie that's coming out this year too. In addition to his next movie, which is also coming out next year. So there's that. All right. My final yeah, thoughts to start rating. Yeah, uh, my, my final thoughts and star ratings. Um, so I, I see where all you guys are coming from, and my whole thing is I'm. It's weird because I always have a hard time objectively reviewing stuff like this, especially when it's adapted yeah. from things that I have such a close personal connection to. And objectively, like I said, yes, I I did see where the showrunners were going for. I do. Yeah. I understand that they were trying to do their own thing. And like I said, narrative-wise, if this wasn't an adaptation of The Last Airbender, I would be like, all right, that actually wasn't bad. It was one of the few eight-episode shows that I was actually able to binge in all two days, and I didn't drag my feet with it, and I didn't get bored with it. I Like, it did interest me. There was enough solid acting and enough things to keep me interested. Mm -hmm. That being said, it unfortunately shares the name with literally the greatest cartoon possibly ever made one of the greatest shows ever made that has such this deep rich mythology and lore and when it feels like you're deliberately going out of your way to just like ignore all of that for the sake of what just providing fans a different experience that they already experienced that was better that's where shit like this loses me and on top of including a lot of other tropes that i hate about a lot of modern day TV shows and movies that are made, it's it's a it's a two out of five for me easily. Mm -hmm. It's got to be that. So, with that being said, that was our review of Netflix's Avatar: The Last Airbender. 
Like I said, that is it for March. We are going into that is it for February. Sorry, we are going into March, and again, we are getting a hit with content galore. We got Dune Part Two. We got Kung Fu Panda Four. We got Roadhouse with Jake Gyllenhaal. We got Three Body Problem. We got The Return of Invincible. We got Bad Batch is back finally. We and we're ending it with again the ultimate SmackDown. Godzilla and Kong, the new empire with Kong with the Infinity Gauntlet and fucking uh, gender fluid Godzilla. It's gonna be insane. Just say, hey man, reason. that's Super Saiyan Godzilla. That's to you, Super right? Saiyan Godzilla. You're got fucking fucking. What 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 is the Titan? Scar King and Shimo are yeah. the ones that they're fighting. Which yeah. it's, oh, it's man. Mario and Luigi against Wario and Waluigi. Exactly. That's how I see it. Exactly. Like they, they even got like different things. He's Kong, not wrong though. He's not Kong wrong. literally <laughs> has the fucking mech gauntlet that he punches through a bill. I'm like. This, they literally gave our man Kong an Infinity Gauntlet. Like, where, where's the fucking gems? Like, where, where's the, where, where's the collection for the Infinity Gems? Where's that he happening? Takes the scales from Shimu. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Anyways, like I said, thank you all for being here. This is an absolute blast. Luke, starting with you. Where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? They can follow me at Luke Reviews on both Instagram and uh, YouTube. And a reminder that next Oct- next October we have the movie coming out. With the original cast animated. Yes, we so do. We have, we yes, have that we to do. look forward to. Well, which the original That's creators it. are involved in as well. Yes. And it will At be the released theatrically. Least. Yes, so, uh, we, we have that to look to forward to. Yes. Wait, wait, what's that again? October 25, we're getting a movie with them as adults yes. and whatnot. But it's going to be animated, and the original creators are involved. And it's set like right after the events of the original series, but they're in their 30s. So it's basically like in between the events Cora of Last Airbender and Korra. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be cool. Um, I'm, I'm so only going to be vested if they bring back the original cast. I mean, obviously, they'll, well, actually, yeah. no, they probably, they probably could bring back Zach Tyler Isaac because that kid's like probably got to be in like his 30s now. So. Yeah. They probably, so they probably could do that. All the promotion, he just did like a, a promo, like when they were, all the old actors were talking to all the yeah. newer actors and stuff like that. He just did a promo for it. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they got to bring him back. They they have to. I mean, May yeah. Whitman and Dante Bosco have both like blown up, blown up pretty big since yeah. then. But like, they have to. That that would be so sick. And yeah. I mean, Jesse Jesse Flower, I think like retired from acting after Avatar because mm-hmm. she was like a kid when they had her in that show. So, mm-hmm. but but that'd be sick to have her back as Toph. That'd be fucking sick. All right, Brandon, your first time on the show, man. How did it feel? What yes, you think? sir. I feel pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. You got any? Uh, you yeah. got any social media things you want to plug for the viewing audience? I mean, yeah, I mean, you can you can follow me on Instagram, you know, Brandon James G. That's, I don't need to plug myself too much, you know? Yeah, not yet. Oh, we'll, say, we'll say Superstar that. right oh, here. Oh, oh, we'll say that for later. Oh, you don't, oh, you don't understand. You know. uh, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon's a little bit of a, Brandon, Brandon's got we'll a little see. bit of a, little bit of a track record, if you will. We'll tell, we'll, 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 we'll speak more to that once we're off the street. <laughs> but uh, well, we'll break that down for you. And last but not least, again, my brother for life, Dontre, man, my former housemate. Where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Listen, man, if you like good house music and like DJing, man, follow me at Official Wig Mafia, DJ. Um, and then uh, if you like video games, like me talking about random shit, follow me on twitch.tv. The Blackio Gaming. Yeah, there you go. Yes, sir. Oh, so oh, so I so I can't oh, crack yeah. the Blackio on here, but the Blackio gaming on because here, I called myself Leonardo the Blackio. Oh, okay. So I got it. So it's got to be Leonardo the Blackio <laughs> from now on. Got it. Got it. I'll make Thank sure. You. I'll make sure I get that right going forward. And as per usual, people, you can follow me with everything going on at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms at Official Talking TV Podcast for all Official Talking TV updates and clips from our shows as well. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch. This episode will be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts tomorrow. And as always, people. 12 seasons of a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next week for Dune part two.